You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. And welcome to episode 38 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I am your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around we're taking a look at The Nom number 34, which takes place in November 1968. That's when our song this time around, Steppenwolf's Magic Carpet Ride, hit the top 10, peaking at number 3. Steppenwolf, of course, is known for the song Born to be Wild which is featured in Easy Rider, the 1968 movie that is often heralded as one of the most important counterculture movies of the 60s and makes up the first half of the title of Peter Biskin's Easy Rider's Raging Bulls book, which is an excellent, excellent book about movies in the, in the 1970s, that, that early auteur age about Spielberg and Coppola and, and Friedkin and Lucas and, and all the people who were, were involved uh, who really, really did change movies for the better or worse. But that, Easy Rider's Raging Bulls is an excellent book and it's worth picking up. But anyway... We're looking at a story in the 1960s in Vietnam, not in Hollywood in the 1970s, and it is still 1968. We are looking at Phoenix, which was written by Doug Murray, penciled by Wayne Van Zant, inked by Jeff Isherwood, lettered and colored by Phil Felix, Don Daly was the editor, and Tom DeFalco was editor-in-chief. The cover was by Jim Lee, and features Ice and another character looking at a captured Vietnamese soldier who is tied to a tank, and it looks like he's hooked up to a car battery. Ice is incredulous, the other person is smoking a cigarette and looking at his prey with satisfaction. Issue 34 came out on May 30th, 1989, and it has a September 1989 cover date. We open in the village of Tay Ninh, where Biggs and Phillips crouch as the village takes hit after hit. Both are sweating, and Biggs wants to know where the mortar fire is coming from. Biggs thinks they should call in some support, but Ice tells him to hold off until Pig, who's off with some of the rest of the guys, takes care of the situation. We cut to Pig, who's with those guys, coming over a ridge and seeing the VC with the mortar while back in the village. Another shell hits the hut. Ice rescues an old man from being hurt while he tries to retrieve his bike while on the, back on the hillside. Martini takes out the mortar courtesy of a grenade launcher, and Pig and the rest of them take out the VC. Back down the hill, it's time to clean up. DeMeo has a scalp wound that needs attention, but it's minor. Biggs says they'll pick up Jones and DeMeo and take them back to base, but the rest of them are to head toward the border because things are getting worse. Before they leave, Biggs apologizes to the old man in the village for tearing things up. They head toward the border, and once they arrive where they're supposed to be, they almost get killed because they wind up approaching their position in broad daylight and are incredibly visible. There's a massive firefight, which ends when air cover is called in and the 23rd heads back. They retrace their route, soon come upon the village they were in at the beginning of the issue. However, it's now blocked off by MPs. Biggs approaches and tells them that nobody is allowed to enter the village. Biggs explains they were just there. The MP says, well, they have their orders. Biggs wants to see the superior officer, and while Biggs and the captain argue, Ice sneaks off and sees the old man from earlier in a hut. 
He's been tied up and whipped. Someone says to him, Familiar sight, eh, Iceman? McCandles! I thought, replies Iceman. McCandles replies that he's still alive and that his men came through soon after the 23rd left. He then says that they should go and make sure that Biggs doesn't get himself into any trouble. Ice and McCandles birch Biggs, and Ice explains to Biggs that Major McCandles specializes in wax jobs. McCandles tells Biggs that they need to detour and around the village, and Ice says, well, before we go, there's something you should see. The MPs try to stop him. Ice shoves one of them, and then has several guns drawn on him. Ice then says, I think you boys should look behind me and think real hard. And we see the entire 23rd with their guns drawn. Ice takes Biggs to see the old man, and McCandles explains that the old man was the VC spotter, and Ice says that he's sure the old man told McCandles exactly what he wanted to hear. We then see what we get a glimpse of on the cover, a villager with a car battery attached to him, which Ice refers to as the telephone hour. McCandles goes off on Ice, telling him that he and his troops need to leave, and if Biggs has any question, he can ask Ice about Phoenix. He then says that he put a call in about Biggs and his men earlier. We then see Daniels holding the radio, and it seems, well, they have a call now. Biggs goes to take the phone, and McCandles tells Ice he's better than this. Ice explains that, yes, he's better than this, and he's cleaner. McCandles gives him a line about it being a dirty war and and grabs his arm. Ice responds by decking him. Biggs gets Ice to stand down, and while McCandles gloats that Ice hasn't changed, Biggs explains that they're supposed to go around the village and forget they saw anything. On the way back, Pigs asks if that was a friend of his, and Ice says, A friend? Once, Pig. To my shame, he was my friend once. This is a great issue. Doug Murray seems to be wanting to touch on some of the more infamous aspects of the war in Vietnam, especially some of the atrocities committed by American troops. The most famous of these, the My Lai Massacre, which was led by Lieutenant William Calley and Company C of the 1st Battalion, 20th Infantry Regiment, 11th Brigade of the 23rd Americal Infantry Division. Calley was convicted of killing 22 villagers, and while he was sentenced to life in prison, he only served about three and a half years of house arrest. This is one of the most infamous incidents of the war, and is one of the episodes that people remember very vividly when they think of the Vietnam War. Now, what's depicted in this issue is obviously fictional. and is nowhere near the scale of me lie. However, this is definitely some unsavorable behavior on the part of the United States, and Murray seems to be showing that to us for two reasons. First, obviously, is to continue to humanize our own soldiers and to show that even our side, the, quote, good guys, can be susceptible to the darker side of human nature, in a sense. Secondly, it actually gives us a little more of ISIS character. When he first showed up, he was extremely secretive about his past, or at least he didn't want to talk about it. Now we find out why. He obviously at one point was helping McCandles, and then had a moment where he became disillusioned or disgusted with what the Major was doing, and he walked away. McCandles is quite the unsavory character, the type who has just enough power to be both influential and untouchable, yet fly under the radar. We're supposed to be disgusted by what we find, and Murray does an excellent job with that. Furthermore, we get a little more of Biggs, who as a lieutenant I really begin to like because he seems to be developing a real bond with Ice, probably because he understands that Ice is the unofficial leader of the 23rd. Van Zant and Isherwood's artwork continues to be excellent, especially that scene where all of the 23rd have their guns drawn on McCandles. 
It's just a really badass scene, to be honest. And I found myself glad that even Daniels has a serious, you don't mess with us, look on his face. In this and the action sequences, I really see the bond that these characters have formed with one another over the last year's worth of stories. And it shows how well developed the creative team has really made them. It's really a testament to this long form of storytelling that honestly wasn't common back in 1989. Nowadays, we are so used to people writing for the trade. Back then, you had an ongoing narrative in a lot of books, but not to the extent of where you really did feel you were getting a chapter of a larger story, unless it was bannered that way, like uh, Year One or Year Two or Death in the Family or whatever you know, whatever other story uh, was going on. So another great one. And when I get back, I'll have historical context, letters, and ads. Well, hey there. This is Huckleberry Ham. And when I'm not busy making movies or TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, Folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. And the funny books. My word, the funny books. Old funny books. New funny books. Scary funny books. Movies about funny books. Funny books about movies. British fellers talking about funny books. And lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out? Head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. Sounds great, Mr. Hound. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, no problem, failers. Now, if y'all excuse me, I have to run. I'm shooting a movie. It's a western, and if y'all see Quick Draw McGraw, don't tell him. He's still hot at me about the good, the bad, and Huckleberry Hound. And once he gets all El Cabong, he's a pain in the you-know-where. And then there was this one time that he and Baba Louie had a little too much sarsaparilla, and Quick Draw said something to McGilla Gorilla that I won't repeat, you understand? We were shooting Yogi's gang, and things got mighty tense. Boo-Boo, and and Boo-Boo's a great feller, real sharp, love working with him. Boo-Boo kept it all from Yogi, you understand, but boy, I tell you. TwoTrueFreaks.com. Tell them Huckleberry sent you. The Phoenix that McCandles refers to and the title refers to is the Phoenix Program, a program that was coordinated between the United States, Australian, and South Vietnamese forces, most notably the U.S. Army Special Forces and the CIA. The purpose was to root out the Viet Cong in the countryside, basically through infiltration and other war. Well, I guess we'd refer to it as black ops. There were supposedly about 81,000 VC neutralized as a result of the program. But one of the more notable aspects of the program was that questionable interrogation tactics such as torture and even targeted killings were used. Here's some of what's on the Wikipedia page about the Phoenix program concerning torture. 
Methods of torture alleged to have been used in the interrogation centers include rape, gang rape, rape using eels, snakes, or hard objects, rape followed by murder, electric shock, nicknamed the bell telephone hour, rendered by attaching wires to the genitals or other sensitive parts of the body like the tongue, the water treatment, the airplane in which the prisoner's arms were tied behind the back and rope looped over a hook on the ceiling, suspending the prisoner in midair, after which he or she was beaten, beatings with rubber hoses and whips, the use of police dogs to maul prisoners. Military intelligence officer K. Milton Osborne witnessed the following use of torture. The use of the insertion of a six-inch dowel into the canal of one of my detainee's ears and the tapping through the brain until dead. The starvation to death in a cage of a Vietnamese woman who was suspected of being part of the local political education cadre in one of the local villages. The use of electronic gear such as sealed telephones attached to both the women's vaginas and the men's testicles to shock them into submission. The torture was usually carried out by South Vietnamese with the CIA and Special Forces playing a supervisory role. With regard to the targeted killings, here's the following from Lieutenant Vincent Okamoto, an intelligence liaison officer for the Phoenix program for two months in 1968 and a recipient of the Distinguished Service Cross. He said the following. The problem was, how do you find people on the blacklist? It's not like you had their address and telephone number. The normal procedure would be to go into a village and just grab someone and say, where's and when so-and-so? Half the time, the people were so afraid that they would not say anything. Then a Phoenix team would take the informant, put a sandbag over his head, poke out two holes so he could see, put a comma wire around his neck like a long leash, and walk him through the village and say, when we go by Nguyen's house, scratch your head. Then that night, Phoenix would come back, knock on the door and say, April fool, mother Whoever answered the door would get wasted. As far as they were concerned, whoever answered was a communist, including family members. Sometimes they'd come back to camp with ears to prove they'd kill people. Now on to the rest of November of 1968. During this month, William E. Colby replaces Robert Comer as the head of CORDS, the peacekeeping force named Civil Operations and Revolutionary Development Support. On November 5, 1968, Richard Nixon is elected president of the United States, and he names Henry Kissinger his national security advisor. November 11th, Operation Commando Hunt is initiated to interdict men and supplies to the Ho Chi Minh Trail through Laos into South Vietnam. By the end of the operation, 3 million tons of bombs are dropped on Laos, slowing but not seriously disrupting trail operations. On November 26th, the United States Air Force First Lieutenant and Bell UH-1F helicopter pilot James P. Fleming rescues an Army Special Forces unit pinned down by Viet Cong fire, earning a Medal of Honor for his bravery. And two non-war but important pop culture moments. First, on November 22nd, we have the airing of Plato's Stepchildren, the land- landmark episode of Star Trek, which includes the first interracial kiss shown on national television between Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Uhura, who were played by William Shatner and Michelle Nichols. A few days earlier, we have the Heidi game, where NBC cuts off the final minute and five seconds of the Oakland Raiders-New York Jets football game to browse the pre-scheduled movie, Heidi. Fans are unable to see Oakland, which had been trailing 32-29, to score two late touchdowns to win 43-32. to As a result, thousands of outraged football fans flood the NBC switchboards to protest. Incoming this month, Greg Birch of Winnipeg 
writes, I read that a cl- favorite VC tactic was to turn the claymores the other way so the mine would blow t- up toward the guy detonating it. Is that what the sapper is doing on the cover of issue 25? And Doug says, yep. Chris Gilbert of Font Hill, Ontario says that he loves the book. He says he has three things. He first, he says the views of the Vietnam war, the soldiers that you present are never forced on readers. If you print a letter with strongly negative view, you try to include another with an opposing idea, letting your readers form their own opinions. Well done. Two, although Canadians were not quote officially involved in Southeast Asia, there were a number of soldiers who were there unofficially fighting alongside U.S. troops. I know you've already done some issues showing the Royal Thailand Army, the Australians, and New Zealanders. How about an issue dealing with the Canucks who fought and died in Vietnam? And three, finally, a favor. I'd like information on a Canadian made Melvin Southens who served and died in country. He was from a small town called Font Hill, my home. Steve Noce or Noche from uh, Selfridge Air National Guard Base in Michigan. Dear the Nam, I really like your comic. It tells everything about the army, including being and, and being an army soldier. But what about the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines? What about guys out there in the ocean? Are they part of Vietnam too? My father's a Vietnam vet. He served in the Navy and was a pilot for 18 years, including many invasions over the Gulf of Tonkin and the Navy P-3 Orion anti-submarine plane. Can't we see more of what pilots like my father went through and more stories devoted to other services fighting the war? Doug says, we got a similar question from Mark Raymer. Uh, let me give both one answer. The Nam was designed to show the Vietnam War from one viewpoint, that of the common grunt, the foot soldier who saw only the armpit of the war. We've done some tangential stories with Marine Flyers, CIA, see this issue, and even Brown River Navy upcoming in number 40. But our main focus is the infantry. That's what the Nam is set out to cover. That's what we'll continue to cover, okay? James Sanders of Cleveland asked, Hey, Doug, did you you guys burn your draft cards or something? I noticed issue number 30 was printed in Canada. What's the story? Uh, James says, The Nam and several other Marvel comics are now printed in Canada. Our printer was just unable to handle the workload in the comics field today, thus just the change. That's interesting. That's something I never, ever noticed. Sean Cousert of Hazel Park, Michigan says, I just got done with the nom number 30, which I liked a lot. Um, he likes ice. He says, in number 30 on page 16, Lieutenant Biggs has what looks like a specialized M16. Were they made that way or did someone customize it? If it was customized, could other grunts have theirs done? And two, who could put someone up for a medal? Doug says, the weapon you refer to is the CAR-15, a specialized version of the M16 usually used for... LRRPs or long range reconnaissance patrol and special forces types. There were some of them around in infantry outfits from time to time. As for medals, the paperwork had to be signed by an officer, usually the company commanding officer, but it could be started by almost anyone in the chain of command from the squad leader up. All right, Nam notes this time around. Okay, B's and G's got a long one this time. Pay attention. APC, Armored Personnel Carrier. What we rode around in. ARVN is the Army of the Republic of Vietnam. The boys who were on our side. Bell Telephone Hour. An interrogation technique used by those who were slightly less than honorable. Brown Bar was a second lieutenant. Buffs, B-52s, the big, ugly, fat flyers. Condolence award, money the ARVN government would sometimes give for the wounded, killed, or bankrupted civilians. Kentucky windage, aiming for distance by the seat of your pants. Click, a kilometer. Make contact. Destroy whatever you're looking at. Most tick, real quick or right away. Oil spot, what's left after a bunch of ordinances landed on it. Pogues, impolite term for anybody other than yourself. RT, radio telephone, your line to support. REMF, 
uncomplimentary description of rear echelon personnel. RPG, rocket-propelled grenade like our bazooka. SPADs, A1E, Sky Raider ground support planes. Wax job, killing anyone. White mice, ARVN, military police, so-called because of their white belts and brassards. A couple of quick announcements. First, there's a group called the Vietnam Veterans of America Incorporated, which does a lot of good work and is working hard on getting the MIAs back, and he gives the address in Arlington. And he says there's also a convention for all the members of the 25th Infantry coming up, and he gives the address for that. And then we have a next month cover showing uh, next month's cover saying Christmas in Vietnam, hosted by Bob Hope. Our ads this month, a lot of the same ones. Uh, we still have that same clear cell one from a couple of issues ago, the Bubble Bobble one again. Now we have the Sears catalog, and you can order the Nintendo Entertainment System. You can like call and order over the phone, and they have a bunch of different uh, games, everything from Contra to Xavius, Pro-Am Racing, Spy Hunter, Spy vs. Spy. Uh, you can order the action set, which is the set I actually had with the Super Mario Duck Hunt cartridge, for $99.99. And then you could order the games ranged from being in the 40s to the 30s. They were, their games are pretty, have always been pretty expensive. There's a Dungeons & Dragons uh, AD&D Dungeon Masters game all-new 2nd edition ad. Ooh, Captain O is back with his O-Face and offering us prizes or cash. I feel like I'm shopping in the early, like the early from the early version of Wheel of Fortune whenever I come across this ad. It's like, Pat, I'll take the two-man boat kit and the cycle-electric digital speedometer and the mogul monster snowboard and the snow surf tube and the household battery charger. Thank you very much. I wonder if they still do those sales clubs. Operation Wolf has an, has an ad again. There is a Westfield Comics Company. Uh, Westfield Company, Wisconsin. You know, are you serious about collecting? You know, get in with us, get our catalog. There's a great Art Adams Wolverine drawing on this, though. It's, it's really, really cool. And bullpen bulletins, they were talking about Stan Soapbox is back. He's talking about how comics are awesome and they're not just for kids and they're not, you know, they're going to be taken seriously. They're talking about changes in editorial as well as stuff moving around. Moon Knight Pencil Salvaludo and his wife Sharon welcomed a baby. So that's about it. And Kelly Corvice is the assistant editor on Conan the Barbarian, Conan the King, Punisher War Journal, The Nam, The Job, and Transformers. And he is the profile this month. We've got a Canadian Jerry Ross and Robert Crystal present Rare Marvels at special discount prices. And there's a whole catalog to order. There's the great comic book, great Eastern comic book conventions, and all of which are taking in the new place in new york new jersey connecticut tri-state area the back inside cover when you ask for morning funnies you're asking for some fun morning funnies cereal 
Dennis, what's so funny? We're running funny cereal, Mr. Wilson. May I see? You asked for it. You asked for hoarded funnies. You're asking for some funnies. Suddenly, your favorite funnies are all over a new cereal called Morning Funnies. The fruit taste is wild. A secret panel opens for more great comics. Morning Funnies is a delicious part of my complete breakfast. When you ask for morning funnies, you're asking for some fun. Great, huh, Mr. Wilson? So the back of the box opens for more great comics, and you see Dennis the Menace, Hagar the Horrible, Beetle Belly. I don't know a couple of these people. Oh, the Family Circus. Ah. So what do you have against the Family Circus? Okay. You sit down and read your paper. And you're enjoying your entire two-page comic spread, right? And then there's the family f***ing circus. Bottom right-hand corner, just waiting to suck. And that's the last thing you read, so... It spoils everything you read before. You could just not read it. I hate it, yet I'm uncontrollably drawn to it. And on the back cover, we have the same ad for Schwinn Bicycles. So that's it! Uh, for issue 34 and that's it for this episode of In Country thank you once again for listening come back in two weeks we'll take a look at issue 35 of the NOM take care you have been listening to In Country a podcast that covers Marvel Comics the NOM the NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is f- intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.